go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 5. We have been moving through the gospel of Mark and we're into chapter 5 right now and I'm excited. I, I kind of feel like those coaches, I don't know if you watched any of the March Madness, the NCAA basketball tournament, but every now and then they would interview those coaches at halftime and those coaches couldn't hardly talk. Uh, because they spent all their, all their voice and all their energy in the first half and uh, forgot to save some for the second half. I had to remind myself while I was down there singing, wait a minute, don't, don't use all your voice singing because you've got to preach. And uh, I sometimes think that's unfair. I sometimes think that Brother Andy needs to follow me and uh, let me preach. And that way if i got anything left, then I'll sing. But it's all good. God is good. If you're in Mark chapter 5, I want to just remind you what we saw last week. Last week, we saw that Jesus led his disciples to the other side. His disciples didn't understand it. But Jesus has been telling them, he's been telling us, Mark has made it very clear, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to preach the gospel, the good news, to anyone and everyone who would hear. And we see in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, that Jesus has power over nature. If you'll remember, the disciples thought they were going to drown. Uh, They thought they were going to die in the boat. Uh, on the Sea of Galilee because the ferocious storm that was crashing on them. But Jesus demonstrated his power and his authority over nature. And what he did was he used that storm. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing with his disciples. He knew exactly where he was taking them. And what Jesus did was he used that storm to expose their doubts and their fears. He used that storm to grow them to grow them in their faith, and to build trust in Him. That's what He wanted from His disciples. That's what He wanted for His disciples. And what we're going to see in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, is that Jesus also has power over demons. Just as Jesus has power over nature, Jesus has power over demons. Now before we dig into Mark chapter 5... I want to begin with a quote from one of my very favorite authors, C.S. Lewis. I know many of you have read the works of C.S. Lewis. Uh, He's an incredible, incredible writer, uh, a godly man. And one of his most famous books, one of his most well-known books, is The Screwtape Letters. And this is what he says in his book, The Screwtape Letters. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. That's what C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Screwtape Letters. And you know that, that it's about a conversation. Right? It's a conversation about what the demons are doing in our world and to the people of our world. And So here's what I believe C.S. Lewis is saying. Here's what I believe God says to us in his word. We need to be careful. We need to be careful when it comes to the demons. Because the demons are in fact real. They are real. Uh, if you believe in God, you better believe in the demons because they are real. If you believe in God, you better believe in Satan because he is real. And if Satan is real, then he's got those who work with him and work for him in this world. And I want you to understand that, but I also want you to understand that we don't need to feed an unhealthy fascination 
for demons. We don't need to feed an unhealthy fascination for them. We don't need to be so fascinated with the demons that we're digging and trying to learn all we can about the demons. Here's what you need to know about the demons, right? They're evil. And they want to steal, kill, and destroy you. Because they work for the evil one, the father of lies, Satan. That's what you need to know about the demons. And I would say that's it. You don't need to be digging so deep with an unhealthy fascination of demons that you get caught up in it. Because it is a reality. Here's what you need to know about the demons. Jesus has the final word. Jesus has the final word because He has power over the demons. And I believe that's what we'll find in Mark chapter 5. So let's look at it. Remember where Jesus led His disciples. He led them to the other side, right? He led them to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, what is known as the pagan lands, the Gentile lands. And he didn't go there by accident. He didn't go there by coincidence. He didn't go there just because that's the way the wind was blowing. He went there, I believe, for this divine encounter. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. Don't miss that. This man lived in the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Now, I want to stop right here. We, we find out something very important. We know that Jesus went to the other side. We know that when he stepped out of the boat, he had a divine appointment. He had a divine encounter. This man was possessed by an impure spirit. That's what Mark says. Some versions say an evil spirit. Some say an unclean spirit. Which literally means that this spirit caused him to live in filthiness. This spirit caused him to live physically filthy, right? It caused him to live morally filthy, a filthy life. That's what the spirit was doing to this man. He was possessed by an impure spirit. The Bible also tells us that the man was living in the tombs. He wasn't just walking around in the tombs. He wasn't just passing through the tombs. He lived in the tombs. Now, if I were to ask you, what one, what one word do you think of when you think of tomb? Does anybody want to shout that word out? Death. Thank you. Death. That's what I think about when I think of tomb, right? So this man was living in the tombs. See, the tombs represented darkness. It represented death. And that's exactly where the impure spirit wanted this man to be. He wanted him in darkness. He wanted him to be in death. He was isolated, right? He was isolated from society. Not only that, he was barred from society. They had had enough of this man. Now let's talk about those demons. Those demons. I've already said this, but I want to say it again. The demon's goal was to still kill and destroy the man. That was their goal. No doubt about it. Jesus tells us that in John 10.10. That that is Satan's goal. And the demons work with and work for Satan. They know what Satan wants and they pursue what Satan wants. They want to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Why did they want to 
destroy this man. I'll tell you why. Because this man was created in the image of God. This man was created in the image of God. And so the demons wanted to destroy this man because, in fact, it would be like destroying God. It would be destroying the image of God. Listen, they wanted to steal this man's purpose. You want to know why? Because this man's purpose was to glorify God and not himself and certainly not a demon. These demons wanted to kill him because they wanted him to spend eternity where they were going to spend eternity, in the pit of hell. That's what they wanted. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that the people, the people were guilty too. The people's goal, what was their goal? I'll tell you what it was. It was to restrain the man. Did you see it there? What did they try to do? They tried to chain him, right? They tried to subdue him. But what does the Bible say? They had no power. They had no power over this demon-possessed man in and of themselves. He broke their man-made chains. He continued to walk in that darkness, in death. He continued to live in the tombs. And from what we can see in Mark's gospel, society gave up on this man. You, You know what this man represented to them? Hopelessness. That's what this man represented to them. Hopelessness. There was nothing else that they could do to this man or for this man, so it is what it is. He lives in the tombs. Watch this, beginning in verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. Verse 13, he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Wow. So let's think about this for just a moment. We got a man who's possessed by an impure spirit. He's living in the tombs, right? He's living in darkness and death. People have tried to chain him, they've tried to subdue him, they've tried to settle him down, and nothing has worked. It seems as though everyone has given up on this man. He's hopeless. I want to stop right there. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you felt like you were walking around in death? Where where you felt like you were walking in darkness and you just couldn't find the light switch? Have you ever been in a place where you felt like anybody and everybody gave up on you? You ever been there? Maybe it's not the same setting. Maybe it's not even the same circumstances. But I'm going to tell you something. What the demons were doing to this man, the demons want to do to you. You better understand that and you better believe it. And the demons are not stupid. You might say, well, those idiots. No, they are not stupid. And they show us in this passage, right? They believe they have power. Watch this. 
The demons shouted the name and the title of Jesus. You might go, well, what does that mean? Well, if you study and you look deep into the history of Jewish culture, theologians will tell you that there was an ancient belief in this culture, pagan and Jewish, that if you recited a deity's name in the manner that this man did, it was not a confession of faith, it was not a confession of surrender, rather it was an attempt to gain power or control over the deity. That's what this was. And so these demons, they knew it was Jesus. They called him by name. But they thought that by calling him by name and by calling him the title, the son of the most high God, that he would relinquish his power or his power would be put out and they could do whatever they want. Guess what? They were wrong. (laughs) They even found out real fast they were wrong and said, well, don't torture us, right? If anything, just put us in the pigs, right? And so what does Jesus do? Jesus asked their name. And how did the demon respond? Legion. Again, if you study Roman culture, if you study the context, do you know how many men served in the legion? Up to 6,000. And that's just the fighting men. In a legion, the fighting men were 6,000. But do you know that also would include horsemen? It would include any ranking officers. So it could be 6,000 plus men in a legion. It represented an incredible power and force. That's what it did. And so think about this for just a moment. This wasn't just a demon possessing this man. This was a legion of demons possessing this man. An incredible power an incredible force. And what does Jesus do? Jesus commanded them to come out. Right? He didn't ask for permission. He commanded them to come out. He gave them permission. He permitted them to enter into the pigs. And so here's what I find incredible. Just as Jesus has power, and all he has to do is speak, and the wind and the waves obey him, all Jesus has to do is speak, And the demons have to obey him. I'm going to tell you something. I don't care if the demon's name is 10,000 legions. Right? 10,000 times 6,000. He still has to obey Jesus. Because Jesus has all power, all authority, and all control. And I'm going to tell you something. Just as Jesus has power over the demons of this impure spirit, Jesus still has power today over any demon or demons who are trying to steal, kill, and destroy you. And if you know that truth, guess what the truth will do? It'll set you free. And it'll put them demons in their place. So all you got to do is speak the name of what? Jesus. Marty and I were on our way to church this morning and we were listening to some songs. And one of our favorite songs that we love to listen to is by Charity Gale. And it's, I speak the name of Jesus. I speak Jesus. I love that song. She says, I speak Jesus over all anxiety. I speak Jesus over all depression. I speak Jesus over this, over that. I'm going to tell you something. When you speak the name of Jesus, you speak all power, all authority, and all control. I believe it. And so Luke, in his gospel, tells us about these pigs going into the abyss. 
See, Luke's gospel also shares this same story, just as Matthew's gospel shares this same story. In Luke's version, he says that these pigs ran off into a cliff, or ran off of a cliff into the sea, and he calls it the abyss. I, I love that, because the demons knew that Jesus had power to end their earthly days of tor- tor- uh, torment by confining them to the abyss. Pastor Daniel Aiken describes the abyss as this. He says, it is the place of spiritual confinement before final and eternal judgment. Spiritual confinement before the final and eternal judgment. And so I love that. Again, the demon's goal was to kill their host. Theologian William Lane says, Jesus allowed the demons to enter the swine to indicate beyond question that their real purpose was the total destruction of this man. Why did Jesus speak with such power and such authority and such quickness, right? Why did Jesus do that? I'm going to tell you something. It was to save this man. It was to save him, not just of his physical torment and his mental torment, but his spiritual torment. And Jesus put these demons into the sea, into the abyss, if you will, so that they could no longer steal, no longer kill, and no longer destroy this man. See, just as those people's goal, right? Remember I told you about the people? Just as their goal was to restrain the man, oh, look at Jesus' goal. Jesus' goal was to restore this man. It was to deliver this man. Jesus wanted this man to have full and eternal life. I believe that. Go see John 10.10. When Jesus says the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, what does he say he came to do? To give you what? Life. And what kind of life? Abundant life. Full life. Eternal life. Jesus wanted this man to live out the image of God by whom he was created. Jesus wanted to give this man the glory that he had so that he could go and live out, right, the glory of God. I'm going to tell you something. People ask me all the time, Brother Jeff, what's my purpose? Brother Jeff, what's my purpose? I'm going to tell you your purpose. Your purpose is to love God and love others and to glorify him wherever you are and with whomever you are. That's your purpose. Now, you can get caught up with this job and this city and marry this and have children and go do... Listen, you can get caught up in all that and those things are important, but your purpose is really simple. It really is. Love God, love people, and glorify God with your life. Because that's the image you were created in. You were created in the image of God. People say, what does God look like? Look in the mirror. What does God look like? Look in the mirror. He created you in His image. He put his mouth on your nostrils and put the breath into you and me. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's who God is. I'm going to tell you, this man, apart from Jesus Christ, getting in the boat and telling his disciples that we're going to the other side, this man, he was hopeless. There was nothing no one could do. There was nothing no one could do but Jesus. I'm going to tell you, there's people right now in this building. There are people listening to my voice, and they're trying anything and everything to find hope and to find peace and to find rescue and to find escape. And I'm going to just tell you something right now. You will always end up in the wrong place if you don't seek Jesus. 
You'll always end up in the wrong place if you don't seek Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. Hope, peace, rescue, and salvation does not come from your mama, your daddy, your spouse, your job, or anything or anyone else but Jesus Christ. You want change to be broken? You want change to be let loose? Then you better seek Jesus because he's the only one who can do it. He's the only one. This man's only hope was Jesus. And praise God, Jesus was there. Met him on the shores, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Look at verse 14. Those tending the pigs... So somebody was there, right? They weren't there to walk around the tombs and they certainly weren't there to do anything with this man because he was uncontrollable. You know what they were there to do? To tend to them pigs. How many of them? 2,000. Watch this. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been, I love that, past tense, who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And look at verse 17. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their Region. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Is that not confusing to you? <laughs> I, I mean, I read that and I'm going, surely verse 17 is not supposed to be there. Right? Surely it's not supposed to be there. But it is. And I really want to pick up the rocks, pick up the stones, and I really want to cast them at these people. But the problem is, am I any different? Are you any different? See, the people responded to Jesus' power. They did. They responded to his power, but they responded to his power with what I call worldly fear. Not godly fear, worldly fear. See, these people saw what happened. And they went and told everybody in town. And then those people came. And what did they see? Well, I'll tell you what they saw. They saw exactly what Mark said. They saw a changed man. Right? A man who was once naked is now clothed. A man who was once out of control is now in control. A man who was once in the tombs, in death and in darkness, is now in light and is alive. That's what they saw. But they didn't focus on that. And they didn't stay on that. You know what else they saw? They saw 2,000 dead pigs floating in the water down below. Let's get to the nitty gritty, if you will. Right? What they saw was incredible, and they were filled with fear. They looked down and saw those 2,000 dead pigs in the water, and we understand, right? We understand. Because, see, it cost them something, didn't it? Oh, yeah, it cost them something. Now, I, I couldn't find this. I tried, but I couldn't find it. Maybe, 
Maybe you have notes and maybe you can. It really is beside the point, but I wonder how much those 2,000 pigs were worth in money. I just wonder. I'll tell you what they represented, though. They represented business. Business. Somebody lost a lot of money that day, right? Probably several somebodies lost a lot of money that day. Dr. David Jeremiah says this. The villagers' fear turned to alarm when Jesus sent the demons out of this man and into their herd of pigs. See, now it becomes personal. (laughs) Now it's going to cost me something to help somebody else. He said the villagers' fear turned to alarm when Jesus sent the demons out of the man and into their herd of pigs. Supernatural power is one thing, but significant economic loss because of it is something else altogether. These people were more concerned with losing their material possessions than a man gaining eternal life. Mm. And that is why verse 17 is in this story. See, it's not just about what Jesus was doing for this man. It's about what it cost as well. And it would be easy for me to just get caught up in these people and think about the cost of the pigs, but do you understand that what Jesus did for this man cost him his life? Yeah. The only way this man was set free was because Jesus came to die. He came to die. He came to die on a cross. Right? He came to die for this man's sins, but he also came to die because of this man's sins. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew where he was going. Jesus knew what he was doing. See, what I see in this passage of Scripture is I see people responding selfishly. That's what I see. People responding selfishly. More concerned about themselves than, what, than, than this man. Than this man whose life was completely changed. How many times are we like that, right? We see what God's doing. We know what God's doing But instead of praising God and focusing on God and sacrificing for God to continue to move, we're counting costs, aren't we? Well, what's it going to take, right? How much time do I have to give? I I love, you know, we have ministry teams, and I thank God for the ministry teams that serve at our church. But you know what? If we're not careful, when we're asked to serve on a ministry team, we could be very easily, we could very easily fall in this. Well, how often are we going to have to meet? So what exactly do you need from me? What exactly do you want from me? What's it going to cost? And I'll tell you this. I think for a split second, you ought to think about what it's going to cost. Because when God calls you into something, you shouldn't go into it half-heartedly. You should go into it knowing and willing. But you shouldn't get caught up in counting them costs. Because I believe that's what happened with these people. They couldn't take their eyes off of the dead pigs in the water going, who's going to pay for that? They stopped looking at the man whose life was changed and just stayed on the dead pigs in the water. Like God couldn't give them more pigs. Mm. So we know how the people respond. What about the man, right? What about the man whose life was changed forever? Let's look at it, verse 18. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Can you blame him? Can you blame him? I I can't. I'm like, there's no other place I'd rather be than with Jesus. 
Like that song we just sang, nothing else, right? I just want to sit here at your feet. That's what I imagine this man saying. Lord, I just want to sit here at your feet. (laughs) There ain't no better place to be, right? As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Look at verse 19. Jesus did not let him, but said, go to your own people. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. I'm going to tell you, this man, he responded a lot differently than the people. Right? This man responded to Jesus' power with gratitude. He was grateful. He was thankful for what Jesus had done for him. He was well aware of what had happened. He was well aware of his previous condition. He was well aware of where he was living and the purpose that was defeated in his life. But he was now also well aware of the new life he had and he was ready to go. Now, he wanted to go with Jesus. But thank God he did have somewhere to go. You might think, oh, since he didn't go to Jesus, with Jesus, he really had no purpose. I beg to differ. He had purpose. He had purpose. He had incredible purpose. I, I love this because the man, it shows here that the man responded obediently, right? He didn't keep on asking and keep on begging. As soon as Jesus said, no, you can't go with me, what you need to do is you need to go home. And you need to tell everybody what the Lord's done for you. You need to tell everybody about the mercy that God has shown you. You know what the Bible says? Immediately. That's what Mark says all the time. Immediately. Guess what the guy did? He took off. Can you imagine? Like, I could see the dust, right? Like a trail of dust, like Wile E. Coyote, right? On the cartoon, just taking off. I can see the dust trail. Like this man, he had a good message, right? And he had an audience. Because the Bible tells us that he went to the Decapolis, right? See, Jesus, I believe, intentionally left this man to be a witness. A witness for his community. And then what you'll see, and I'm not going there right now, but what you'll see later on in Mark chapter 5, right? So Jesus, he goes across the Sea of Galilee to get to this man. Well, guess what? He's getting back in the boat, and guess where they're going? Back to the other side. He's going back to the Jewish communities. I, I love this. I believe Jesus went to plant this one gospel seed in this one heart because he knew that this gospel seed would produce fruit and more seeds would be planted. Do you know what the Decapolis means? The word Decapolis? You might think, oh, well, that's one city. No, Decapolis means ten cities. That's what Decapolis means. And if you go and look at the context, this man didn't just go to start. No, he went to Gerard and he went to Ravel. Right? He, went, he, he went south and went to Alto and Mangum. And then he circled back and went to Richwood and Monroe. And then he said, well, let me go to Bastrop. I'll go to Bastrop, Marouge, Oak Ridge. Just keep going, right? That's the point. He had a great message to tell, and he didn't stop telling it. And so I love this. Think about how many seeds of salvation were planted in the hearts and the minds of people Because of this one man. This one man. I love this story. I I, I love this passage of scripture. And again, the disciples were there. And they were listening and they were watching. Right? This was Jesus 
that was teaching them all about faith. And remember, I told you this last week, and I'm going to tell you again today, and I'm going to tell you again next week if you're back. Do you know what Jesus' goal was for his disciples? You know what Jesus' goal is today for you and me? He just wants us to trust him. That's what he wants. Jesus wants us to trust him. He wants us to trust his power in our lives to do what only he can do. He wants us to trust his purposes for our lives. How many times do we sit down and we try, right? We try to define our purpose. Or we try to define where we go next and what we do next. And Jesus is saying, I got this. I got this. Will you listen to me? More more so, will you trust me? Well, we see the storm and go, let's go the other way. Jesus sees the storm and says, let's go head first. Why why are storms like that so scary? Because it's in our nature, right? It's in our nature to be scared. It's in our nature to get down in the basement where we are safe. But I'm going to tell you, I'd rather be in the boat in the middle of the storm with Jesus than to be on the shores where no wind is blowing. That's just me. I'd rather be in a boat with the waves crashing in the middle of the Sea of Galilee than standing on the shores where there's no wind blowing. That's just me. You want to know why? Because I trust Jesus. I know what you're thinking. It's easy for Jeff to say that Sunday morning standing up in that pulpit. But I'm going to tell you, something can happen to me in this pulpit just like it can happen to me out there in the middle of the street. Something can happen to me right here on Sunday morning just like it can happen out there on Thursday afternoon. Location doesn't change it. Time doesn't change it. You either will trust Jesus or you won't. I'm going to tell you, just like this man, Jesus wants to restore you. He wants to restore you into the image of God. He wants to restore you into the purposes of God. And more than that, he wants to deliver you from the enemy. He wants to deliver you from sin and death. He wants you to know God personally and intimately through him. He wants you to live out. Live out the image of God. He wants you to live out the purposes of God. He wants you to live out the glory of God. Jesus wants you to be his witness. Jesus wants me to be his witness. He wants us to be his witnesses. Listen, he has us today where we are so that we will just tell others about him, about his goodness, about his mercy, about his grace, about his love. He has us where we are so that we would just reach into our pockets and pull out the seed and fling it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and read Mark chapter 4, the parables. You and I are gospel, seed-carrying, planting people. Well, we should be. And that's what God wants from you and me. Just go out where you are, your house, your workplace, your school, the community you live in, and plant those gospel seeds. Plant them. Just just plant them. God's not asking you to save anybody. You want to know why? Because you can't, and neither can I. Only he can do that. But I'll tell you what we can do, what we've been empowered to do, and what we've been enabled to do, and that is tell. We've been empowered and enabled to tell, to tell others about the goodness of God. So the question is, will I? Will I trust God? Will I obey God? Will I tell others? 
I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what kind of storm you're, you came out of or you're heading into or that's on the horizon. But before you start making up your own plans on how to get out of this or how to hide or how to run, maybe you ought to do some time with God and say, God, do I need to head into the storm because you're trying to talk to me? You're trying to teach me? You're trying to show me? You're trying to grow me? You better listen to God because God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. And sometimes it's in that storm. I'm going to tell you something else. The demons are real. And the demons will speak to your mind and speak to your heart just like anybody else. The demons will whisper things to you, worldly things. But just remember this, the demons can only do one thing, and that is lie. That's all they can do. When it comes to you, that's all they can do is lie. Because they come from the father of lies, Satan. So I, I don't know what, what's going on. I don't know if you need God's power to show in the storm or God's power to be held over demons who are tormenting you, but I'm going to tell you this. Jesus is the name above all names. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has all power, all authority, and all control, and he's who you need. I'm going to pray, and this is going to be our invitation. Before we take communion, we're just going to have a time of invitation, a time of prayer, a time of reflection. We're going to listen to the Spirit. The Spirit is going to speak to us. The Spirit is going to guide us. And then, and then we'll come to this table, and we'll think about this bread, and we'll think about this juice that represents the body and the blood of Christ. Because like I told you, he saved that man, that, that man that was demon-possessed. He saved him only because he came to die and raise up out of that grave. And what he did for that man, he can and will do for you because he did, in fact, die, and he did, in fact, raise up out of that grave. So think about that right now.